0: welcome to the equipping podcast my name is nathan and i'm the director of equipping and apologetics here at watermark community church in dallas texas and i'm here with my co-host curriculum karen
1: uh not again <laughs> 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 okay real name just it. karen how about curriculum you karen i'm here with my co-host just karen
0: just karen
1: it's better than curriculum
2: no curriculum karen
1: makes me sound like a nerd
2: well, okay, the, the okay, <laughs> that
1: was a long pause.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
0: Well, our guests over the next three weeks are going to be Jonathan Morrow, who is the director of Impact 360, just south of Atlanta, Georgia, and Brooke Hempel, who is with the Barna Group. And Jonathan and Brooke are experts at Generation Z. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Today we're hanging out with Jonathan Morrow and Brooke Hempel, and Jonathan is the director of Impact 360, just south of Atlanta, Georgia, which is an organization that is dedicated to equipping the next generation for the advancement of the kingdom of God, and so we're excited to have them today to talk about Gen Z. The reason that Brooke is here is because she is part of the Barna Group, and the Barna Group has recently partnered with Impact 360 to produce a resource that basically answers the question, who is Gen Z, to give us a better idea of um, what this next generation looks like. And so, Jonathan, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us what are you guys doing over at Impact 360?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, really excited about Uh, talking about Gen Z and the next generation. So I get to work with an organization, Impact 360 Institute. We're just southwest of Atlanta, Georgia, and we really cultivate leaders who follow Jesus. We get to work with students all the time, high schoolers and college students, and really helping them own their faith, understand how God's uh, called them to be involved in his kingdom work and things like that. So we get to have summer experiences. So I'm a director of all of our summer programs for immersion or Propel, where they get to really own their faith. We do a lot of experiential worldview learning with them and some innovative stuff around that. And then we have a nine-month gap year where we, uh, students, 18 to 20-year-old high school graduates get 18 hours of college credit. We take a month internationally in Brazil, uh, serving cross-culturally, and we help them really kind of understand and kind of own why they believe what they believe, but also give them confidence and clarity as they move into that next step. So in a nutshell, I get to teach and help equip and help students. I mean, what gets me up in the morning is helping students understand what they believe, why they believe it, and how to live it out. And I get to do that here at Impact 360.
0: Yeah, I love it. So my nephew was a part of the immersion experience this summer and, and, uh, definitely had an awesome experience out there. And then, uh, you were kind enough to host my wife and I last summer and we got to see the facilities there, which are state of the art. You guys are in a brand new facility too, right?
2: Yeah. we launched a brand new uh, campus in 2017, we have a 60 acre campus where we, uh, train students and have a lot of space, um, for them to kind of grow and think. And, uh, be together as a community uh, during those different programs and experiences we have for them here.
0: We also have Brooke Hempel. And a lot of times when people hear the word Barna, it's typically just associated with some kind of statistic. So some people are like, well, the Barna group said this. And probably quite a few people in our audience may just generally know what Barna is. It's like it's some sort of uh, research group. Barna feels like this ethereal thing that's out there, but it actually is concrete and has stuff that you guys do all the time. So Brooke, tell us what's the mission of Barna and what's your role over there?
3: Sure. So you're not far off. Uh, Yes, we do focus on research. Um, Typically our research is to help church leaders. So that's um, our primary audience that we are working alongside and helping. Um, We say our goal is to help church leaders or Christian leaders kind of understand the world around them, um, understand cultural context, and then know what to do about that. Mm. And so that looks like a lot of things. That can mean it's topical research on um, different areas. It can mean generational research, like this Gen Z study. Um, it can be all sorts of um, tracking of spiritual metrics. So we we kind of track faith and culture from a lot of different angles and with a lot of different types of organizations. Um, and we've been doing that for over three decades. So uh, it's really Great to have that context of how things have shifted and how things are uh, moving and changing in our country and in Mm -hmm. our world. Um, Some of our research is outside the U.S., although most of it is focused on the U.S. context. And in terms of my day-to-day, um, I oversee our research team. We have work that gets done for organizations that's kind of strategic and internal, and you'll never see any of it. <laughs> and then we have other work that gets published um, that we produce these uh, reports, or I like to call uh, monographs. They're kind of like magazine-style reports. And so we produce those in-house and publish those. And so um, our team oversees all of that, that work and um, just gets to uh, have the pleasure of What's happening in the world today from a 30,000
1: foot view? So helpful, and as somebody who's taken part in using some of that research, just thank you for what you do and for yeah, how you help seriously. us. My pleasure. So, I can just say, as the millennial in the room, I am so stinking glad we are not talking about my generation today. <laughs> Praise the Lord! Oh, Another one is coming, yeah,
0: yeah, we totally will. We'll work that in. No,
1: no, no. <laughs> <laughs> We have moved on, people. So today we are talking about Generation Z. So just can y'all help us understand who is Gen Z? Like what have they lived through? What are their values? Just help our audience
3: um, know who they are. Yeah, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head with what have they lived through. Um, one of the big questions about, you know, what defines a generation is people like, so how do you decide? Um, there's no authority on it. <laughs> it's kind of a social science Um Phenomena, and we kind of all come together and say, you know, we feel like there's enough that's happened in the course of this particular age group's life now that it can actually be defining. And so that's something that just kind of um, generally evolves uh, within the field of social science. But basically, generation is meant to be. Um, And a group of of people who grew up during a certain time frame and therefore the events that took place during that time frame and often specifically that's kind of their um, middle childhood into youth and college years that becomes defining for them, right? That's really what hardwires our brain in some ways and our our worldview. And that's also what sets our trajectory in terms of society. Mm. And so um, when we talk about Gen Z right now, we're talking about um, people who are 20 years old and younger. So they're mostly teens down into elementary school age. We haven't set <laughs> a bottom cutoff age for them yet, but usually a generation is about 15 years or so. Um, so what we're talking about is today's Youth and teens and kids. And in terms of kind of what defines them, it should be no surprise that one of the number one things that defines them <laughs> is the fact that during their lifetime, the iPhone came into fruition and, and yeah. was widely used. Smartphones have just become, you know, the norm. And they grew up having those in their hands oh. from day one. So my daughter was born the year the iPhone came out, um, and she in 2007, and she has grown up with that and is. Um, just a native to technology Mm -hmm. and it literally shapes the way kids brains develop. So that's one of the reasons that's a defining factor.
0: Which is really interesting because this is the first generation who's, uh, we really don't yet know what the effects of the advance in technology with the iPhone and other social media
2: type platforms are going to have. I think that's an important insight, I think we're going to look back on kind of this season of the, probably the next five, 10 years, and in some ways kind of go, wow, what did we do to mm, yeah. <laughs> <Do> everyone <laughs> with what we've done? Because a lot of times, and the founder of, of Wired Magazine put it this way, kind of summarizing him, the rate at which we are producing the next um, technologies is far outstripping our ability to civilize them. Yep. And so there's just this whole new thing, and mm. it's just... It's out there affecting us in ways that are profound and we can get into the particulars on that. I did want to say that, um, you know, as Brooke was talking, just how how fabulous it was to work with the Barna Group on this because at Impact 360, We we know the questions and issues and insecurities that we see in teenagers every day. And so we wanted that national lens and that's why it was awesome to partner with Brooke and with mm-hmm. David Kenneman and the whole Barna team did a, did a fabulous job helping us give us that national lens on what's going on here.
0: Yeah. So Jonathan, from your perspective, as a guy who specializes in working with Gen Z, what are some of those core fundamental questions that you were interested in when you did partner with, with Brooke and her team to get at who is Gen Z?
2: So one of those was at a broad level, um, what What's their worldview as a whole? How do they see the world? How are they being shaped? And one of the fascinating things about this study and what, one of the reasons why we wanted to partner with Barna is they've been tracking kind of the worldview percentages in America for about 20, 25 years among different generations. And one of the things that we found um, in one of those questions was the percentage of people with a biblical worldview in America, and that declines with each generation. So about 10% of boomers had a biblical worldview. About 7% of Gen X had a biblical worldview, about 6% of millennials, and only 4% of yes. Gen Z. And so what does that tell us? It means that truly Gen Z is a post-Christian generation. There's yeah. there's just not a lot of people who have those shared assumptions about God and truth and morality yeah. and faith. And the Bible says so carries less and less weight. Honestly, just literacy around the Bible, um, some of those kind of things. Is one of those things that we're seeing emerge in this generation. And as Brooke and I have talked about it in the past, and in some ways, you know, Gen Z is, is kind of more like a blank slate in many regards. And there's positives and negatives to that. It's like, hey, what's this thing called Christianity in the church that you guys are talking about over mm-hmm. here? What, what is this? And why would we go to church again? And what's mm-hmm. the important? And so there's maybe even some curiosity, but also, you know, not to talk about millennials too much, but was one <laughs> of, there was kind of this reaction against stuff. And in some ways, Gen Z is kind of like, I'm not even sure kind of why this matters or why that's important. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit different for Gen Z. So that's just one of the questions was around worldview.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I think, too, to get it, Brooke, what you said a minute ago about the the events that shape a generation and and primarily those being during the teenage years. I mean, you think about the last five years uh, in our society Quite a bit of stuff has happened. (laughs) I mean, it's like things are moving pretty quickly. I mean, you had Obergefell with the legalization of same-sex marriage and this increased push of traditional boundaries. And so, Brooke, how have you seen? Was the research shown in that having an effect on this generation?
3: Yeah, it's huge and it's interesting. Um, You're you're not wrong to think that it's accelerating. It, It is true, and we actually see that in the data in terms of people's opinions. There's what I would call the tipping point where, you know, things reach a certain critical mass, 15 to 20 percent of them, you know, people begin to believe something and suddenly it speeds up from there. Mm -hmm. You know, an adoption Mm -hmm. of new ideas um, really shifts there. So what we see is um, an extraordinary sense of relativism and that like. Pervades all sorts of belief systems um, for this generation. It pervades their moral beliefs, their religious beliefs. Uh, it pervades questions about sexuality and gender, um, about just speaking about your opinions generally. Uh, and, and that's, I think, a lot to do with just the climate they've grown up in, in schools, what's the norm in our society, in general. Um, But also just the fact that things are changing so fast that there is a great sense of um, sensitivity to the opinions of those around them and wanting to be really cautious not to assert um, oneself over, you know, overtly um, because it might actually offend someone. And so um, it's pretty much anything anyone says or feels and and feeling is is really very much revered um, that, that that makes it okay and that
1: makes it true. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Those numbers seem almost shocking to me that it only takes 15 or 20 percent of a population to believe something for it to to start to shift in another direction. Because I I start to look at social media and how rapidly things catch on there. And if you start Mm -hmm. to implant ideas in there and in uh, TV shows and the news and all of a sudden ideas are just taking form like they never have before. And so it, it makes complete sense to look at this generation and see like. Yeah, things are moving fast.
2: Just to jump in there on the tail end of what Brooke was saying. So, for example, one of the, one of the more surprising statistics that really shows just how rapid that shift is happening among Gen Z when it is, comes to gender and sexuality. And well, that was one of the areas we wanted to kind of explore in this study, given how prominent the conversation is. But about 12% of Gen Z describe their own sexuality as something other than heterosexual. Mm. which is a, which is an increase, a significant one. Mm. And then this is a remarkable one just to stop and think about is 33% of basically today's teenagers say gender is how a person feels, not their birth sex. Mm. And what's profound about this one is as Brooke was saying, we see a lot of moral and spiritual confusion around truth, but still science is the trump card and science is great. Christians love science. However, um, it's not the only way we know things, but so science kind of rules in our country country until some other questions come in and then feelings trump those. So Mm -hmm. this generation truly has grown up with this sense of how I feel determines what's real and we're seeing that play out rapidly and I think just the shift on gender and sexuality um, in particular as those conversations play out, as that culture narrates those categories for them. And they're just growing up with that as normal. And that's something we definitely want to pay attention to.
0: It seems to me to be fairly self-evident that a child's and a teenager's emotional stability is not the most solid thing in the world, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, if if that's a little bit scary, and by a little bit I mean a lot, that it's like, hey, actually your feelings become the arbiter of truth in your life. And to to know how unstable that season of life is emotionally what have you guys seen the some of the consequences of this be in your
2: spheres of influence one of the things i see is this generation, and I love Gen Z, by the way. I'm not down yeah, on them; totally. they're awesome, they're fun, exciting, creative, tons of energy. I think they're going to be an activist generation in many ways. I just don't think they've been equipped mm-hmm. in the ways they need to be and and engaged. We want to channel those feelings, but so they have a lot of empathy, and that's a really great thing. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, one of the ways I see this playing out initially with students, and I see this with every group, and I get to work with whether students come from a homeschool background, Christian school, public school, private school, and They all have – it's kind of like this. If you've ever been to the Waffle House before, um, Mm -hmm. I worked at a Waffle House for a whole summer um, in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And you you don't leave the Waffle House without taking some of the Waffle House with you, right? Because this kind of sheen of battery goodness, and then like three (laughs) showers later, you stop smelling (laughs) like a waffle. That's (laughs) awesome. And in many ways – That's what it's like for our kids to grow up in this culture around this truth and don't want to be judgmental and how that feelings kind of trump everything and I can't be wrong and just follow your heart and all that kind of stuff. And so whenever they come in environments, what they're automatically doing, and I see this, is they're relativizing even Christianity before it comes out of their mouth. It's like, that's just true for me, right? Mm. So I was raised this way. I was raised in this home. I was raised in this church. People love me and there's kind of a sentimentality to it. But it's not actually true in in the terms of a capital T, the way the world actually is, kind of category. It's well, that's just true for me. And so their default is to relativize it right um when it comes out of our mouth. I mean, Brick, you can speak to that even in our focus groups. So Why don't you to share a little bit about some of how that played out in some of those?
3: Yeah, it was amazing. We um we had two two different sets of focus groups we did with teens, and some were were just a general sample and some were those specifically from, from Christian upbringings. And even then, um, you know, even in the Christian focus groups, there was ambiguity um, about what. how do I know for sure this is truth? How do I defend it? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one great quote from teen focus groups that says, um, there's no such thing as truth, but there are facts. So people mm-hmm. can believe, believe whatever truth they want, but there's always room for truth to change. Mm-hmm. So fact is something I can observe and I see it and I can describe it but the concept of truth is absolutely in the eye of the beholder. And that is that is a really difficult place to live. And we would mm. see how that would cause extreme kind of reactions of anxiety when you would ask people questions yeah. that were kind of basic, but they had to take a stand or, or a certain opinion. And it made them extremely nervous mm. about um, putting forth some sense of truth because it was only validated by their own perspective, mm-hmm. right? So no matter what background it is, you know they come from, it's just really hard for them to say, this is what I know to be true. And that is kind of a difficult place to live. It's it's kind of like standing on sand, right? When and shifting.
0: Yeah, it totally is. So as a Gen Xer, I'm looking at this and it's easy for me to scratch my head right now and just be like, how does anything make sense at all in this way of getting at knowledge? I mean, I'm sure you guys too as Gen Xers are probably, you know, <laughs> thinking the same thing. But but how do we think about this generation to meet them where they are? Like you said, Jonathan, equip them to deploy them in a way that's, that's unique. Because I totally agree. I love Gen Z. They have challenges, just like every generation has challenges. But they also have a lot of things that are positive about them. One of them being, uh, which is no small thing like you mentioned, empathy. So how, how do we, as there's probably a lot of parents listening to this right now, how do we as Gen Xers look at Gen Z and understand them to meet them where they are and, and uh, help them move forward?
2: I would say a couple of things. One of the things that we have to do for this generation is bring together reason and imagination. Mm. And imagination is what captures your heart and your attention, And reason is what allows you to really navigate life well. And in a generation that's grown up with that, how you feel determines what's real mindset. We have to find ways that show, because there's two kinds of questions that I deal with when I work with students and there's two broad frameworks. First is Christianity true. And the second is Christianity good. And there's many people that don't think that Christianity is actually good. And that keeps them from hearing stuff around is Christianity true part. But they need us as parents and as adults and as leaders to narrate what's going on for them because their social media feed, they're getting all these voices, they're being acculturated and habituated into all these viewpoints and worldviews without even thinking about it. They have emotional attachment and then they go for it. And what they don't have a lot of times, because it's only like 15 minutes a week or 20 minutes a week at church or maybe rarely around the dinner table as parents, is they don't hear a Christian understanding or narration of what's going on, saying, hey, actually, you know, people are really upset with each other right now, but they're actually made in the image of God, and we need to be able to treat people with dignity and respect, even though we disagree with them, right? It's even little things like narrating what goes on in film and conversation and things like that. So they need reason, and and what's encouraging about that is nearly half of teens on par with millennials want factual evidence to support their beliefs, and that's been my experience Students will think, like, there's a myth out there that we can't challenge them with stuff. That's just not my experience, and I don't think that the evidence bears that out. Mm-hmm. But we have to do it in ways that invite them into seeing Christianity as telling the true story about reality, not just a Sunday morning-only kind of thing that they use their, their kind of faith. I use that on Sunday morning and knowledge the rest of the week. In some ways, there's this crisis of knowledge where they think only the hard sciences give you truth, and then feeling is what lives in morality and spirituality, And then that's a whole separate thing. So we've got to bring those two together. We've got to recapture imagination, and we also have to give them reasons and why Mm -hmm. Christianity is true—that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Here's how you can know it. So again, those are just a couple things. I don't want to talk too long. We can come back to that if you want. But I think those are two big categories we can help. Yeah, no, I,
0: I want to double click on it, and I also want to say this isn't anything new. Blaise Pascal in the 1600s. His entire method for presenting Christianity, I mean, I've got a quote from him here. He said, men despise religion. They hate it and are afraid it may be true. The cure for this is first to show that religion is not contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence and respect. Next, make it attractive. Make good men wish that it was true and then show them that it is he's getting at both of those things. And frankly, I mean, uh, you're doing Christianity and injustice if you don't get at them because it is true, but it, it's also beautiful <laughs> and good. Like yeah. No, I think that's a critical I think that's a critical point.
1: When you make a really interesting comment about how many voices this generation is listening to because of their phones in their hand, they can look up any anything at any time. And there's almost a blind trust that goes with what you're reading online or what you're consuming online. And so if they're getting all these different opinions and none of them are Christian, then it completely makes sense. Do you think that there's a blind trust with this generation of what they're consuming?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Um I think there's a healthy respect for and empathy, as we were saying, um, towards, you know, others' opinions. Like you you kind of owe them the honor and respect of Hearing their opinion, but at the same time, I think because they've grown up as a digital generation, um, there's always the risk of not being aware of you know things filtering in um, and not understanding them. But like Jonathan said, they're better critical thinkers than we give them credit for. Um, they're not it's, they're not invited to do that very often. But if you, as a parent, are asking them, well, why do you think that is? Or do you think that what that person said is true? Or what would that, you know, just dig into that, right? Just the art of logic. Hmm. What must be true in order for that to be true? Um, That's really where they engage. And they're a little more, aware that, that there is fake news they're a little more aware that people have multiple personas on social media <laughs> mm-hmm. they're kind of um, they're kind of skeptical that way So both things are true they, they need to be kind of guided and taught to kind of pick apart. Um, and, and break down kind of statements or assertions into what makes them up to, to deter, discern if that's actually true. Mm-hmm. But also, they're a little less likely to get the wool pulled over their eyes, even than some adults, because I think they've just grown up with this healthy skepticism of like, yeah. oh, that person just made that up. <laughs> yeah, that's helpful. Yeah.
2: yeah, And that skepticism takes them in the direction of, I'm the ultimate authority mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. at right. the end of that logical progression. And so that's where, that, where we need help with both, because I think Brooke's exactly right uh, with that tension because they're, they're seeing things and then, and then it's just the time factor, right? I mean, we're not being conditioned and trained right now as a culture to be reflective about anything. (laughs) We're, we're, we're being trained to be reactive about everything. And so the part is, is like, well, if they're on, you know, social media, technology, entertainment, whatever, between six, eight, 10 hours a day, you know, and you get, maybe 20 minutes, 50 minutes of Christian input, quote-unquote, a week at a Sunday morning. Where is this supposed to happen? And that's why I think we have some real opportunities with this next generation to reimagine what it looks like to equip them and train them. Because I think there's a world that is and the world that we wish it was. And I think many ways and sometimes with the best of intentions as parents and churches, we're training students for the world that we wish it was and not the world that it actually is. Mm, mm. And that's why we wanted to do this study with the Barna group is to say, okay, what's really happening? How do people really view the world? And are we preparing students to flourish as followers of Jesus in that world? And we're gonna have to take a hard look at some things and maybe, you know, there might be a little a few sacred cows along the way that might have to get (laughs) rightly so, man. Butcher those things. (laughs) Yeah, but because this is a very different world we inhabit right now. And it's not as though we don't know what's coming. And so are we going to kind of step up and really do the hard work to prepare this generation? Or are we just going to kind of go pretend that their kind of Disney World Christianity bubble is just going to carry them through? And that's just not, you know, when they go through the church, hey, entertainment, everybody loves me and everything else. You know, that, that's not going to produce lasting disciples.
1: Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope that you tune in next week for part two. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, tell your friends. Uh, always know that you can email Nathan specifically with any <laughs> kind of question you may have at equippingpodcast.watermark.org. Nice. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye.
0: Peace. Peace.